just want to welcome you all to this breakout session about global trends for marketplace workers. And um, how's, it, how's the conference been for you all so far? Has it been good? Excellent. Great. How many of you were able to make it to the intensive over at the student block at 1 o'clock? You were there? Yeah? Good. Anybody else was able to go? You were there as well? Okay. Great. How was that time? Good. He's sitting right over there, so yeah. It's good. <laughs> sure. <laughs> good answer. That was good. No, it's great. And we want to welcome you. And this is just a great opportunity to kind of follow up on that. I know they really dove into the practical aspects of finding a job in, in some strategic places there. So what I want to do today, and I hope I don't buzz too much here, um, is just to kind of go over some trends that we're seeing in, uh, in the world today that affect um, the marketplace missions and uh, going into some of these places around the world where, um, where the gospel isn't being preached. And so I just want to take the opportunity to share with you five trends today about that. And just to introduce myself, my name is Sean German. Um, I'm li- currently living in Atlanta, Georgia, but my family and I served with OM, Operation Mobilization, for 15 years in Bosnia, and we just moved back to the States a couple years ago, kind of getting our kids through, uh, through co- into college and career in that area. So I'm here joined today by some of my colleagues, and so over here on the side, we have Allie, you can wave Allie, and Todd, they're helping with OM's uh, recruiting and placement uh, team there, and then we also have my colleague in the back here, Sarah. Scatter Global with marketing and messaging. And then uh, joined by your husband, Alex, who is a participant here at the conference as a nurse. And then also, yeah, welcome, Alex. It's great. And besides, they just got recently married. So, August, let's give them a, a congratulations for that. Yeah. <laughs> Good job, Alex. You did well. <laughs> and then also a couple of my colleagues from our, uh, for those of you who are at the intensive, from our job, uh, job recruiting partner. Um, so, we have Teresa and Brandon there. So really glad that they can be here today because at the end of the time, if you have questions or specific things you'd like to ask them, please feel free. They would love to talk with you um, about all aspects of this. So let me go ahead and get started. I just want to uh, yeah, just emphasize our thing, theme today about global trends. And there's a lot of different themes that I could have spoken on, but what really drew me to this was this verse from First Chronicles 12.32. And you're familiar with the tribe of Issachar. They were a small tribe compared to the other uh, tribes that came to David with thousands and thousands of warriors. Well, the tribe of Issachar came at 200. You're like, well, what can 200 do among so many others? But these were 200 men who understood the times and knew what Israel should do. And so the question is, do we understand the times? How are we doing as the body of Christ in the church in understanding the times we live in? Because they are changing so fast. And so, so that will be kind of our theme and our basis for today in looking at how things are changing and how that affects the opportunities, the challenges um, that we have in missions for the kingdom of God, for the spread of the gospel, and then specifically for you all in the medical profession. So I want to show, during this time, I'm going to be showing a lot of different video clips. So I hope you enjoy multimedia presentations because I love uh, using video clips and things to emphasize points and they sometimes can do it so much better in, in that kind of a way. So I'm going to play the short video. Now this is a video that I found from a company called Synchron. I don't know, I've never heard of them before. I don't know if you have, but they're very keenly aware of the changes in the world that is happening today. And so I'll go ahead and play this, and you can kind of get a feel for what they're seeing are some of the huge trends and changes in the world today.
question at the end, the world is changing, are you? And sometimes it's easy for us to kind of stick in that old mode, maybe where we grew up with, maybe depending on where we grew up and live. And, and they're challenging that. They're, they're seeing the trends, and they're saying, we need to change, we need to adapt. And how are we doing that? How are we doing in the church? How is the body of Christ handling the incredible changes that are happening in the world today? So I want to, before we go too far, I want to actually explore this question. I don't want to assume that everybody knows what we're talking about when we mention a marketplace worker. And there might be different ideas and definitions of it, um, but I want to kind of start out with that so we're kind of all on the same page with that. So this is, a, this is what our, our uh, definition that we use. It's a follower of Jesus who's living out their faith and vocation in workplaces and neighborhoods around the world, leading to an advancement and flourishing of God's kingdom globally. So a marketplace worker, we're assuming a follower of Christ, somebody who believes in Jesus, has skills and giftings and ability that God has uniquely given them, experiences and education, and how they can use those skills along with their faith together to be able to love people, to love God, and to do the work with excellence. And so we're also seeing through the world globally for the advancement of the kingdom around the world that the body of Christ needs to be engaged with that. So we see that happening a lot in the marketplace. And so we feel like we believe that the proclamation and disciple making will be the natural overflow of a practice in authentic vocational stewardship there. So that's kind of a basis for what we mean when we're talking about a marketplace worker. So I'll just go ahead and mention this first trend. This is something that uh, might be surprising or might be something you're, you're quite aware of, but it's the global talent shortage. So around the world today, companies are finding that they are not able to find the people they need for the jobs that they have available. So the positions in their companies, even in their own country, especially in some of these highly industrialized, highly educated societies, they're having a hard time finding the right people that they need. So I'm going to show another little video. There's a group called Manpower Group. I don't know if you're familiar with them, but they help companies to find the people that they need and to upskill their current employees so they can meet the needs that they have. And this is a little introductory video about an annual survey that they do every year about the global talent shortage. The world is facing a growing talent shortage. Rapid digital transformation, globalization, and social and demographic shifts are impacting labor markets around the world. Technology is transforming how work gets done, creating new roles that require new skills. Employers are struggling to fill roles, threatening productivity, efficiency, and future growth, pushing global talent shortages to their highest level in over a decade. The talent shortage is real. Organizations must rethink their talent strategy to succeed in the digital age. It's time to embrace a new paradigm around attracting and retaining skilled talent. How will your organization respond to the talent shortage? And then I would dare to extend that. How would the church dare respond to the global talent shortage? Is it just something outside? It's just doesn't have any impact on the body of Christ, or is there perhaps an opportunity there? So, as I mentioned, Manpower does a survey every year, and in 2018, they found that 45%, it's the average, of employers around the world, they, they uh, surveyed over 40,000 employees, in, uh, sorry, companies in uh, dozens of countries around the world to find out what the situation is. And so this is a, one of their websites. You go onto it there, and you can kind of highlight least difficult to find positions, most difficult. And I found it interesting the countries there from Argentina to India, Japan, Turkey, places in um, Southeastern Europe there, um, even Hong Kong and places, they're finding it's very difficult to find the people they, they need for the roles that they have available. So this was the results from their 2016 survey that I found that I thought was very interesting. This is the top 10 Sorry, is it bothering you guys, that ringing? Anybody have any technical expertise? And <laughs> that This mic is on as well, and I have two mics here. so <laughs> One's for recording and one's for speaking. So. I think there's something you can turn down in the studio. Maybe, yeah. I've I can try turning this down a little bit, yeah, because if it's annoying me, it's probably annoying you. Sorry. <laughs> a little distracting. 
So this is what they came up with: the top ten, the top ten countries with or finding a hard time finding um, employees to fill the roles. And I want to highlight these five here. So these five are quite interesting. Now, what do you say is the common factor between these five countries? One of them. Just anything. Any ideas? Sorry? Non-Christian. Okay. Any other thoughts about these particular countries? What do they have in common? I see that hand. It just, okay. (laughs) Anything else? What do you say, like you were saying, what do you mean by non-Christian? Maybe closed countries, right? Yeah. So these countries, we believe it's no coincidence that these very countries that are having a hard time finding the talent they need are also some of the least reached countries in the world. That Japan, largely Buddhist country, most of the people there have never had the chance to hear the gospel. When we think of Turkey or, or even Israel and places where uh, there is the evangelical church, the believers there is incredibly small. And yet, they're finding that they need to bring in people from outside to fill the jobs that they have in their own country there. So we don't believe that's a coincidence, and we feel that there's an incredible opportunity for that. So then, if those are the top ten countries that are in need, and five of those are what we maybe consider some of the least reached places in the world, what are the actual jobs that they're looking for? What kind of needs do they have? What roles are they wanting to fill? So here are some of the top ten that they that they came up with. And there's others, but these are the main ones they came up with. So interestingly enough, the number one role or demand that they have is for skilled trades. They need people with who can, who can weld, people who are mechanics, electricians, some of these basic, basic skills there as well. Don't worry, there are medical health needs as well, so <laughs> they need you soon, you'll see in a moment. But uh, interestingly, they're really looking for people with some of these other skills there, from manufacturing to office support, IT, even sales representatives using that, business to business, business customers, things like that, contact centers, engineers, and drivers. You know, we used to, you know, we say America drives on Duncan or something, right? But you just think how much trucks and driving and transportation is needed uh, to be able to get people and goods around from place to place, and they don't have enough drivers around these world, around the world. So then, I mean, let's see this. Watch this short little video as they kind of highlight some of these these needs. to be kind of ringing a little bit, so but I, so I turned down the volume, but I don't know if it's because of the two mics together, but it seemed to be better now, or is it still a little funny? Okay. So what, was, what did they say was the most important skill that people needed to have in order to be employable long-term? Learnability, yeah. Can they adapt? And while the hard skills are really needed, they still really need soft skills as well, and one of them is communication, collaboration, 
all of those kind of skills to be able to be, you know, uh, and learnability to be able to continue to be employed in this new and changing world. So they're very well aware of it, and the companies are feeling it. And again, we ask, is this a coincidence, or is this perhaps like an opportunity for the body of Christ to engage with people in the very places where the least reached are? So I thought it would be really interesting to take a look at what about by country. So let's kind of dig a little bit deeper into some of the countries they highlighted who are, miss, who are lacking the skills they need. So the first place I want to look at was China. And they kind of say, okay, what are the skills that they need, the roles they're trying to fill? And of course, again, right at the top, they have sales reps, which is interesting, the technicians, the skilled trades, accounting, finance staff. I'm not medical, but accounting, finance is my background. And restaurants and hotel staff. So these are the needs that they're needing. And so perhaps you know somebody who might be in that, these professions, who might fill some of these roles, who would consider doing what they do here and doing, going somewhere where Jesus is less known. But what about India? They mentioned India in that little video there, and they said they have a chronic shortage of nurses, doctors, and dentists there. So you can see here, healthcare professionals, number six, so you're on the board. And uh, they're continually looking for that kind of help. Again, sales reps up there. So I know how much we all enjoy salespeople, but they're needed, right? You know, how are we going to be able to sell things if we don't have people to share about them? So healthcare is FLC need, manufacturing the skilled trades as well. So, and you think about India, you know, so well known with highly educated engineers and IT and everything like that, but still they have a chronic shortage. How about Israel? That was interesting. And in the same position there is healthcare professionals. They have a, a distinct lack of that. So there's opportunity there in a place like Israel. Even something like cleaners and domestic staff there, again, restaurants and hotel staff, and the skilled trades. How about Japan? We saw Japan. Healthcare professionals is definitely there. I know if you know, Japan has a declining demographic. I mean, they are not, they do not have any growth. They are steadily, steadily declining. And many people are concerned about the future of Japan as a country because the actual Japanese people are not growing enough. The population growth there, the Japanese, is declining. The population is aging. I think the statistic of over half of the people are over 65. They're just aging and very, very few young people. And so ironically, uh, what's interesting, one of the developments in Japan is the growth of robotics because they need robots to help take care of people. They don't have... The, pop, the workforce to be able to do some of the jobs the young people used to do. They're also trying to reskill and retrain the older population so they can continue to work. They can continue to be productive members of society because they need it. They need the people to do that. So healthcare professionals are definitely up there in the top 10 needs in Japan simply for that reason. Teachers as well, so opportunities to go and to teach. We know one family for, uh, who, he's an engineer, and he was actually on a job, a business trip to Japan uh, with his company based here in the U.S. And as he heard about this idea of going to least reached marketplaces in his profession and to consider maybe a job transfer. So he talked to his boss and said, hey, would there be an opportunity for me to go with my family to Japan? And he said, yes, we'd be happy to send you. If, you're, if you'd like to go, we would love to send you there and have you work on that team in our office in Japan. And so he and his family, they were able to move to Tokyo, Japan last year, and they've been working in that area and connecting with uh, some of the community as well and engaging with the Japanese people in his profession. So job transfers are also a great opportunity. And then Turkey, um, one of the places a little closer to home in, in Bosnia for us, they have, again, needs for skilled trades, uh, for cleaning, domestic staff, management, drivers, manufacturing, all of these kind of skills there. So if you know people who are in this area, healthcare is obviously a huge one as well. But um, these, are, these are some great opportunities. And we, we believe that they're in the midst, uh, manpower believes that there's a skills revolution, uh, that technology is transforming organizations. We see this happening every day and growing, in fact. And so companies are not able to find the talent they need. And again, they go back to learnability, that if people want to be employable, if they want to have a job role and a place in this new world, they need to have learnability and to be able to upskill so that they can ensure their employability over the long term. So this is what the secular world is seeing. And so I think us in the church, we also need to be aware of that and understand the times in which we live and what we should do. So let's want to play a short video from the World Economic Forum. They have some really great uh, short little videos on Twitter. 
Uh, and this one talks about Singapore, which is it's an incredibly um, interesting place. So let's play that. Watch this. Did they turn off my sound? I think. <laughs> Oh. Yeah, thanks. Yeah, because now. Now, speaking of not personal experience, but from a friend of mine who was living in Singapore, it's not an easy place to live. It's hot, you know, <laughs> it is humid, and it's kind of expensive, as you can tell, in a place like that where they have such a strong financial um, base and economy and all the infrastructure there, it's expensive. But, as she said, there's opportunity for growth there. And so places like Singapore are opening up and are a great place to consider for marketplace missions there. So, Trend number two. So I'm going to dig into that. So that's the global talent shortage. This other one here is Lafricasia. Has anybody heard of Lafricasia? Any idea what that might refer to? Say it again. Latin America. Africa and Asia. Right. Yeah, that was a new phrase. And it's another phrase like for saying the global south. So we're talking about Latin America, Africa, and Asia, putting that together, Lafricasia. So <laughs> it's kind of funny. I always thought, well, maybe Latfricasia or something. But the idea of this whole huge swath through the middle of the world, it's changing. You know, when OM started in 1960, about 35% of believers were from what we could say Lafricasia or the global south. And today that has been flipped completely different. So you can see from the distribution of Christians in the world, 1970, more than half came from the global north, meaning North America, Europe, Australia, New Zealand, and that area. But today, nearly six, over 66% in 2018, and they estimate by 20, 2020 that it will be 80% from the global south. So there's a huge change and shift in the distribution of, global, of Christians around the world. So here's kind of a basis of where, where they're uh, distributed. So... Africa, interestingly, in 2018, became the most populous continent of Christians in the world, 30 million more than in Latin America. So Africa has taken that role. Still quite a few in Europe, which is interesting, like that, because of the the population there, 77% Christian, so 51 million. But at only 9% Christian in Asia, they already have 388 million Christians there. So this is 20... This is the 20, 33% of the global population, or 2.5 billion people. So this is that distribution. So from Latin America, Africa, and Asia, we see a huge increase. The U.S. is still the largest sender of missionaries in the world, over 134,000 missionaries. But who do you think is the second largest country that sends the most missionaries? Any ideas? Yeah, which country in Latin America? Brazil, excellent, yeah. They took over the second spot from Korea. South Korea was before sending the most. But do you know which country per capita sends more missionaries than any other country in the world? Sorry? Korea? Some place you would never expect, some place in the Middle East. Palestine. They send per million, per million Christians, they send 3,400 
per million Christians. That's more than any other country. I think after that they said statistically it was like Samoa and Ireland and some of these other places that you wouldn't expect there. But Palestine is a very vibrant Christian community, and they send more missionaries per capita. Thank you. (laughs) Appreciate that. Per capita than any other country in the world. So here's the distribution of region, how it looks. So in, in 1910, obviously a huge percentage, you know, 66% in Europe and in the Americas. But by 2010, that figure has dramatically decreased for Europe. And although the Americas has increased, that's because of Latin America. But in North America, this hasn't decreased. We see a huge increase in the sub-Saharan from 1.4% to 23.6%. And this is why Africa has overtaken Latin America with the most number of Christians in the world there. So we see a huge, huge shift in that work. This was interesting, too, kind of interesting set that I found about a seismic shift in the center of gravity for Christianity in the world. So you can see how in, uh, obviously, in the early times here in Jerusalem, where it started in that era, that was the geographic center of Christianity in the world. But then watch what, cha- what happens. Close that. There we go. Over time, and moving and shifting further and further south here. So as, as Christianity spread into Turkey and then eventually into Europe, it drew the center of gravity of, for Christianity into the north there, going up almost as far as Vienna and in Budapest in that area. And then as Columbus and, and the discovery of America and coming into this area, then the center of gravity of Christianity went further west. But what we're seeing since the 1970s in that area, it's actually going down further south, as we see from Madrid going down to, can you read that here, Alamin, because of the growth in Latin America that the church there, so that has drawn the further south. And then now, as we see, coming down into 2019, the geographic center is in Timbuktu, Mali, today, for that. But the estimate by 2021 is going to be further south into the heart of Europe. So we're seeing this, this incredible shift. So Christians are looking different than they ever looked before. Before, Christians looked like um, mostly white, mostly Western, mostly wealthy. But it's very, very different nowadays with that. So the traveling team has done a lot of research, and they, they found this, uh, this stat about the shift in Christianity today. So some of the things that we're seeing in, in China, the Back to Jerusalem Evangelistic Band is a movement looking to gross 100,000 Chinese missionaries that will use the Silk Road to take the gospel back to Jerusalem. We see that Brazil has sent 2,000 missionaries to churches establishing hundreds of training church uh, centers to mobilize thousands more. And in the Philippines, it's quite amazing what the Lord is doing through that because they estimate that 10% of the population of Philippines, 8 million people, have left the country and are working overseas. And the, the, the churches in the groups in the Philippines estimate that 7% of those people are evangelical believers that have gone overseas. So there's a huge, huge missionary force in that sense who are going in. And there, many of them are working at housemaids, and they're spreading the gospel in the very homes of the least reached. So we have one work, one uh, longtime leader in the Middle East, and he was saying that the Filipino maids have done more for the kingdom of God than all the workers combined that have been there because they're in the homes of the people, and they're engaging with the families and with the children and, and um, impacting them incredibly. And then Nigeria is just amazing what God is doing there. They have the Nigerian Evangelical Missionary Alliance with 95 agencies there and over 50 over 5,000 missionaries in over 50 countries there. So incredible growth there. So I just want to show you an example, a short testimony of a a software engineer from Latin America. Yeah, 
faith at work was to share a set of principles based on biblical principles. So, for example, speak the truth in love. It actually changed the whole way of working of the team. I've had the joy to see some people come to the door. I believe that God's a creative work, so Jesus transforms that and he wants to redeem everything. Amen. So, yeah, so... So Christians are look, Christianity is looking very different than it did before, and they're engaging people who are much more near culture to them. So we're finding in uh, with Latin Americans, Latinos, that they have a lot of the same features that some of the least rich have. So with their culture, with their community orientation, with the uh, food, music, sports, all of that. There was a magazine recently of a, a picture of a a Brazilian and a North African, and they're both on the front cover, and they're asking the reader, okay, which one is from North Africa, which one's from Brazil? And you couldn't guess, you couldn't tell, because they had so many similar features there. And so there's a lot of opportunity, and you have people like Jose, who are going and using their skill, who are being able to reach out and engage people that they otherwise wouldn't be able to reach. So those are the t- two, two of the trends. One is the global talent trend uh, shortage that we're finding, and then also Lafricasian, the growth of the Global South Church. The third trend is something interesting as well called global missions. So global and local at the same time. So what is that about? Combining these two is considering in the world today that we need, you can't just look at local issues and local needs. You know, it used to be the saying like, what does that have to do with the price of rice in China? Well, it does have a lot to do with the price of rice in China. Everything that happens because the world is so connected now, we need to consider the global impact. And so does the church. And we as believers need to be aware of the impact that we have. <clears throat> I read an article saying that McDonald's, for example, when they, they have rice meals in India and China, so they understand the culture, they're adapting their menus to accommodate the people that they're trying to reach and to sell their food to. And then on the flip side, you have Starbucks that was in the Forbidden City, and there was a campaign to move Starbucks out of the Forbidden City because people are like, you can't be there. That is not a place for Starbucks. We'll go and enjoy Starbucks outside the Forbidden City, but not inside. And so they did. They moved outside of the Forbidden City out of consideration for them and that place and what that meant to them. So these local issues are very relevant to us today. And also, you have with the diaspora, you have incredible movements of people around the world. And I found this really great... uh, kind of geographic um, uh, video from Metrocosm that shows the incredible multi-dimensional migration that's happening around the world. So let me play a little bit of this video for you. As you can see, the numbers of people, and every single little dot represents a thousand people that are migrating in different places around the world in different directions. So the blue dots are places that are receiving more people than they're sending out. And the red places, as you can see, this big red dot in the middle there, that's from Syria and from the thousands and thousands of people who are leaving Syria. So that just puts in one picture and a view of the incredible dimension that, uh, that migration has today and that the missions of the diaspora who are fleeing many different places economically, for economic reasons, political reasons, war, famine, strife. In many ways, God is scattering, literally scattering his people all over the world. So looking at the Philippines, we mentioned about that before. Look at the huge numbers of people that are leaving the Philippines that are going eight, six to 8,000 people are estimated to leave the Philippines every single day. And mo- many of them are going to some of these hardest places into China and into the Middle East there. So local missionaries, what do they look like? Well, they could look like Miriam, a Filipino who's working in Kuwait. could look like Gerard from South Africa, who's working in Abu Dhabi. It could be like Chao, who is a farmer, Chinese farmer in Azerbaijan. It could be uh, Sarah, who's an Egyptian hairdresser. And it could be Dan Dale, the American CEO, who's expanding his business into other parts of the world. Or perhaps Ali, a Moroccan teacher of English and sharing her faith in Qatar. 
So it's, it's a different world out there, and it's looking very different. And people are engaging with people that they had never expected before. They cannot put Christians in a box anymore like that. We're seeing these, uh, the rise and growth of the Global South Church, and we're seeing global missionaries such as these people there. This was something that I found quite interesting. There's something called the World Values Survey, and they put out this, this cultural values map, which maybe kind of understands why, helps us understand a little bit better about why some of these cultures and countries are much more compatible with each other than others. So this is just a short little video. kind of shows the change between 1981 to, and to 2014 between these major groups of peoples, whether Protestant or African, Islamic, Latin American, and Orthodox. So watch this, and you'll see kind of this incredible morphing and changing around the world. something like that. And nowadays, like in 2015, it looks something like this. I'm going to put up two lines, and you can, I'll kind of explain this graph a little bit more. So on the, on the y-axis here, the traditional versus secular uh, reasoning, the traditional uh, values and cultures that you can see in, in African Islamic cultures, Latin America, and even some English-speaking areas in Orthodox countries, whereas you go further up the scale into Protestant Europe, especially in Scandinavia, those areas, much and in in uh, the Baltic states and in China and those places, Japan, more secular reasoning, more of those kind of values. And then on the, on the horizontal x-axis there, the survival versus self-expression. You can see Latin America very much higher on the self-expression scale there. But then you've got the African Islamic, a lot more survival culture, survival values, just trying to, to get by because of the difficulty where they live. And so you can see from that even why Latin American and uh, uh, people from Latin America and African Islamic, there's a lot more synergy there, a lot more commonality. They maybe differ more on the self-expression survival scale, but they match more on that traditional, on the traditional value scale there. So this kind of helps give us a, a bit of a picture and see why there's maybe in some places it's more difficult somebody from Protestant Europe to go into African Islamic countries. There's just a huge gap. There's a lot of barriers to overcome. I love this quote from uh, Fouad Masri, who's the founder of Crescent Project. He says that Muslims are the most spiritually curious people on our planet. And I had the privilege of going to Costa Rica um, a few months ago, and I met a lady who's actually teaching English in the Middle East, uh, in one of the most closed countries there. And she was talking about her experience there. You know, we think about, well, what are the people like? You know, they... Are they open? Are they hostile to her? What is it like for her? And she found more opportunity to share about Jesus, the Bible, and God there than in her own country of Costa Rica. That people are very curiously, spiritually curious. Now, I was talking with one gentleman here, he said, except for the extremists, right? And I said, yeah, well, they have their own agenda and they're, they're out to push that. But if you talk to the average person there, they're curious, they're hungry, and they're wanting to ask these questions. But the problem is that they're not coming in contact with those who claim to be followers of Christ, the number one reason a Muslim, a Buddhist, or Hindu comes to faith is what? What do you think is the number one way or reason they come to faith? What's that? Yeah, they're meeting, a, uh, meeting somebody through watching the life of a believer. And so if they're not around them, they have nobody to, to ask these questions and to find out what is it like to be a follower of Jesus. And so she had the opportunity to visit this one family. She, the mother went into the kitchen to go get some tea for them to drink. And the daughter sat down on the couch next to her and just point blank asked her, are you a Christian? And she's like, oh, what do I say? You know, can I be open? Should I not say anything? Or you know, what do I tell her? And she just felt the Lord say, just tell her yes. And so she said, yes, I, I believe in Jesus and as my Savior. It's like, wow, do you have a Bible? I have so many questions. Can you talk to me? Can you answer some questions? She had never had the opportunity to ask some of these questions that they have. So they are very curious and they are very open. And in fact, they find it strange often that Christians don't talk as much about their faith as Muslims do. They don't pray as much as they would expect. And of course, their idea of Christians, or at least in the West, what it used to be, is what they see in the TV and movies. But as we're seeing with the global missionaries, it's looking very, very different. 
And that's why there's being such impact and opportunity. But they are very curious and very spiritually open. All right, so the fourth trend, and this is one of my favorite here, is about this digital revolution and evolution. So you might be like, okay, well, how does that affect us? What is that? How does that can affect missions today? Well, it's been determined that about that adults spend an average 11 hours of their day engaging in some form of online activity. Anybody would agree with that? <laughs> a large part. I mean, we have our phones with us all the time, don't we? And I can imagine it's probably even more with your kids, right? <laughs> if you have kids who are engaging with that. It's just a part of our life. We can't imagine being without connectivity to online activity. So they're estimating that there are 3.9 billion people using the Internet and over 3 million blog posts. Um, even Google searches, 3.5 billion Google searches every day, and over 500 million tweets every day. And that's from what's called internetevangelismday.net. So there's an age here for the digital missionary. You know, it's not, not always, always necessary to go to different places like that. You can even do so much right where you're at. You know, if you don't have the opportunity to go or to travel or do, be in different places, you can do a lot through the Internet. So this mobile ministry forum is one place that you can go to check out how we can minister to people who have a mobile phone, who are curious, who want to ask these questions and find out the answers. You can also um, take part in what's called Internet Evangelism Day. That took place earlier this year in April of 2019. And if you go to their website, they can give you tools and resources to help you learn how to engage people on the Internet through your mobile device. And one thing I found out about that was quite interesting is the Who is Jesus bot. Have you guys ever used a bot when you've gone online or you, know, you do a chat on a, a website for a company and you're writing out some things? It's not actually a real person. Oftentimes, it's just, a, it's just a, a bot who is automating responses to your questions. And then if they can't answer it, then they refer you to a real person. So there was an experiment a couple of years ago. Um, a group of people put onto Facebook using an application or program called ChatFuel, and they created what is called the Who is Jesus bot. And they put it on Facebook for 10 weeks to find out what kind of effect could this have? Could it actually lead people to Christ, to faith, to a genuine believing faith. So they found that they had, after 10 weeks on Facebook, they had 865 conversations and 44 salvations. Now, out of that 44 salvations, 27 of them were fully led by a bot. Just going through the automated responses there. And the other 17 were human-led. Because you can go to a point where, like, okay, they're going to refer you to a real person there. And this is even launched in places like Japan. And so an incredible experience. How can somebody come to faith through a bot, <laughs> something automated like that? But it's in, that's the way in which there's this digital revolution and evolution in which we can use technology to be able to share the gospel with people who otherwise wouldn't have been able to hear it. And this is one of my favorite things about 5G. You know, like we use the 4G technology, and we've got 5G technology that is going to be uh, rolling out. Even as we speak, Verizon and AT&T, some of these companies are talking about it. So what's the big deal about 5G, right? Well, it's not just that you can download movies faster. They said that with 4G, it's about, it, it's, you could download a movie in about seven minutes, right? But with 5G, it'll be less than six seconds. So rather than just 100 megabits per second download, it's 10,000 megabits per second download. So speed is one huge increase exponentially. The other is latency. So the time it takes for data to travel from one point to another point. With 4G... It takes 50 milliseconds. Well, that doesn't sound like a long time, but it's a few second time that takes delay, and the longer the distance, the longer it takes. With 5G, it's going to be less than one millisecond. So basically, zero latency. It's going to be instantaneous. So that's going to affect a lot of industries around the world, everything from transportation to medicine, agriculture. They're going to be able to monitor. My, my father-in-law used to be a cattle farmer, and so what they can do is they can put devices like harnesses around the cattle to be able to know about their health, their eating habits, if they're sick, their heart rate, all of that, just like we can humans, they're going to put that on animals. Or when the cows, who are, who are milking cows, when they're ready to milk, how well they're eating, and how much milk they can expect to extract from them. So it's going to affect uh, industry in so many different ways. And especially medicine, I was reading this article that the University of Surrey in the UK found the potential for 5G and artificial intelligence in home medical care is vividly demonstrated by a living lab for patients with dementia, a network of internet-enabled sensors, 
monitors and tra- uh, trackers can detect agitation and inability, irritability as well as changes in patients' health and daily routines. So that can be a living lab. They can be in a place where they're monitored and looked at and they can monitor their situation and be able to determine if they need help. And then I love this one about, I don't know if you guys saw the movie Ready Player One from Steven Spielberg. That may not be such a, a far-fetched idea because stepping into the virtual world uh, maybe thanks to, we have a VR headset downstairs. Have you guys been down to the VR booths downstairs in that middle area? Take a chance to go down there. So one of the booths is about being a marketplace worker in the Middle East, but there's other ones with Samaritan's Purse being in a tent there. There's another one about being healthcare education in other places. There's like uh, five or six different booths there, all with virtual reality headsets that will put you into those settings there. And Ready Player One was a movie where you're just stepping fully into it. You're not just watching it, but you're actually engaging and participating in it there. Well, imagine this. It's not just about playing video games, but in theory, a surgeon could operate on a patient remotely using a VR headset, haptic gloves, and a virtual twin robot. Wearable devices and connected healthcare, for instance, will help people monitor and manage their illnesses and allow medical professionals to efficiently screen and diagnose patients remotely. In fact, the 5G network has the potential to enable surgeons to robotically operate on patients from thousands of miles away, completely different continents, to do that. But that's only possible with 5G because of that latency. You can't have any, any latency when you're operating on somebody. You've got to have instantaneous. You know exactly where you're doing that. But this is what CNN Business Perspectives from CP Granami is seeing and what The Economist is seeing. So these people are seeing these changes happening, and it's going to be affecting your profession. So I just want to show this other short little video from um, the World Economic Forum about Dubai. Has anybody been to Dubai? A chance to go there? What did you think of it? Was it what you expected? Yes, big shopping mall, World Solace building, biggest mall in the world. So listen to this. You're going to hear, actually, learn a little bit about the city, but you're going to hear from one of the royal family there and what he's talking about, the future of Dubai and what they need for, for the city.
accept failure and willing, on, uh, willing to leverage on the, uh, on the successful stories. This is uh, one of the key contributors in building uh, a future-ready city. Our continuous tax thinking and drive to be forward-looking will also continue, which means that by 2030, we will have plans to think of 2040 and 2050 and 2060 and beyond to ensure that we're always um, a future-ready city uh, planning for the future. So they're looking for futurists. They're looking for innovators, looking for people willing to come and experiment and, and to try things out who are ready, different technologies. So are you ready? Are you guys available for that? And you can see the 3D printing. Imagine a whole building being printed and built in two days by 18 people. Absolutely incredible. But then as you saw there, just the impact you're probably already seeing in your profession with uh, prosthetics. Um, with 3D printing and the opportunity with that. So let me quickly move into trend five here, marketplace mission style. And this is kind of what we're coming to. We want to emphasize it more of like a lifestyle rather than just a model, just another model, traditional model or marketplace model or something, but really something that you would be having all of your life engaged, wherever you are, wherever the Lord might have you be, that we'd be intentional, kingdom-minded people wherever we are. So Steve Moore, who is the CEO of Nex, uh, a former CEO of Amicio Nexus, said models that served us well for the last 150 years are not keeping pace. So Steve, what do you mean? What are you talking about? What models and not keeping pace with what? So I found these, these stats. One thing that we talk about, there's four numbers I think he's referring to. Does anybody have an idea what that first number is? Three billion. Unreached, yep, exactly. This is the SMA number. In fact, you can see down around the VR boost there, it says like 3.1 billion unreached in, in today. What about the 60,000? How many people are added daily to that number? People who will, be, who will live, be born, live, and die without ever hearing the gospel. 60,000. What about the 12,000? Any ideas? Workers? Yeah, what kind of Workers. Christian workers? Yes. Among whom? Among the unreached. So 12,000 trying to reach the 3 billion. So for every worker, that means two quarter of a million people. They, they're not, yeah, okay, no big deal. One person for 250,000 people. Obviously, that is just not, uh, not acceptable. and It's not a trend that is moving in the right direction. So only 12,000 out of the 400,000 missionaries or full-time Christian workers around the world, only 12,000, 3%, are engaging the unreached, the 3 billion unreached. What about the 86? Any, any idea with that? Kind of alluded to it a little bit earlier. It's the percentage of people who have never met a believer. So the Buddhist, Hindu, or Muslim who have never met a believer. So the majority of them have never even met somebody. Even my colleague recently was in Central Asia, and they um, struck up a conversation with a young man in a coffee shop and asked him, are you a Muslim? He said, yes, yes, I'm a Muslim. And it's like, oh, you know, and he asked them, what do you guys believe? Oh, we're followers of Jesus. Wow, I have never met somebody who's a follower of Jesus. He had heard the name of Jesus, so that was something but he had never actually personally met someone who claimed to follow Jesus. And that's the case for nearly 90% of the unreached. So why marketplace missions? What is, what's significant about that? Or what's the, what are the, some of the assumptions we make? What are the advantages? And what are the disadvantages? So I know we have a few minutes left there, so I just I, I wanted to get a, little, a lot of your participation with that, and I, I apologize that we don't have time. I'd love to kind of hear your feedback, because there are. There are advantages and disadvantages to it, some reasons why that works really well, reasons why maybe it won't work really. It doesn't work really well in certain cases there. So, But let me just highlight four things that we are seeing as some of the, the key points that, um, that really give this uh, a good push into the least reached. And one is simply accessibility. Um, many of the places that where the least reached are, you cannot go as a traditional missionary in a full-time sense like that. You need to have another way to be able to have access to the people and get into it. And it's not just getting into a country and having the visa for that, but it's actually having the access to the people to engage with them. So I know a guy who was working in Spain, and their goal was to engage with the middle-class Spanish people. Well, where are they? During the day, they're at work. They're in the office. And the people that they work with are the people they socialize with. So if you don't get to where they're working, you won't be able to socialize with them. You can't just walk up, hi, my name is Sean. I want to be your friend and tell you about Jesus. You're like, who are you? What are you doing here? 
you need to have access to them. And so working in the workplace with them is one of the ways to do it. And credibility is something as well. When we were working in Bosnia, that was something that we struggled with a little bit because, first of all, they didn't understand why would an American leave the land of milk and honey and go to Bosnia when all the Bosnians want to leave and go to America. So they said, well, there's, either three, there's only three options. You're either working for the embassy, which, no, we weren't. Okay, then you must be making a lot of money for some NGO. No, we definitely weren't making a lot of money for some NGO. Well, then the only option is that you're CIA. You have to be working for them. No, we're not. Yes, that's it. You said you're not working at the embassy. You're making a lot of money. So eventually we could build enough trust and faith they could see our lives and integrity with them that they would believe us and just say, well, he's just kind of strange. He's a volunteer and lives here. But, but okay, you know. And so we can engage with them. But we lack something that would give us immediate credibility. But if you go in your profession and they can see how you work, they can see how you live your life, then you have that credibility with them. You also have scalabilities. We talked about the growth of Lafricasia in the global south. We need to not just double the number of missionaries to 24,000 who are reaching 3 billion. We need to exponentially reach the 3 billion people. The only way that's going to happen is if we can scale up the number of people who are going. And we're seeing the Lord doing it already from the number of Filipinos who are going around the world, some of the economic diaspora who are traveling, and, and the multidirectional migration of people around the world. But what if we can engage more of the body of Christ? Not just 1%, but the 99% in that. So it needs to be scalable. And we need something that's going to be sustainable as well. Just lacking the finances and resources to be able to fully support people as in, as in the traditional sense. It needs to be something that people can be able to be able to live on their own and provide for themselves. And I know if you've been to Dr. Dr. J.D.'s seminar, I remember uh, he was, he's going to be speaking tomorrow at, at uh, 9.30. Is that right? He's going to be speaking here at 9.30. So you haven't heard him yet. I encourage you to go to his, his uh, session. He talks about how because he's getting paid by the hospital there, they're actually supporting missions. Because he's giving that money, turning around, and instead of taking support, he's able to support others and taking the money that he's being paid by them into missions there. So those are the four key things that we see. And I'm going to display this last little video here, and then I'll go ahead and finish. So if you haven't heard of Dr. Joseph Daniel. If you're in a dark room and you light a match, everyone can see it. So while I'm generally by myself, it's a very, very easy place to shine light. Very simple things that they notice when you're looking for light. I think like most people who go into medicine, I wanted to help people. But as I grew in my own faith, the American dream had a real hard hold on my heart. And it really cut me to the heart to say, J.D., what are you doing with your life? Are you really using your gifts for his glory, or are you using them for your glory? A big part of my story is when I discovered that the vast majority of all the missionaries and the vast majority of all the money is actually going to these areas of the world where there's already churches, and the places where there's no churches, you can only go if you're a doctor or a lawyer or a pilot. My wife and I really changed from a trajectory where we were probably going to southern Africa to ending up in the Middle East because I discovered quickly on, as a physician, I can go. During this process, I also met a missionary who had great language, had seminary, wanted to go and couldn't. He could not find a way to get in. And yet I, this guy who's all thumbs cross-culturally, doesn't have great language, never went to seminary, I can go. I often get asked if I had a specific calling to this area of the world, and I would say that I didn't. I'm just a doctor who happens to be in a different place. One of the things that I do as a marketplace worker is I do professional excellence with love. And what that means is I'm the best doctor I can possibly be to have the best outcomes as a doctor, but I do it with love. And when you do both of those together, people come to find you. That's one of the biggest impacts that I have, and it absolutely blows their minds because that, that just doesn't exist in their context. And they, they will seek you out very actively because of competency and because of your love. When it says, go therefore make disciples, the emphasis is not on the going. I always thought it was. The emphasis is actually on the making of disciples. It's assumed that you're going to go. So at the end of the day, it was kind of a discipleship, a spiritual growth thing that God just said, I gave you all this gifting. Now go and be like the world. 
So I'm not sure which room he's going to be speaking in, but you'll find it in your program tomorrow morning at 9.30 there. So we just want to finish with this question. What if every Jesus follower, every doctor, engineer, taxi driver, hairdresser, had a way to engage in God's global mission while living in their gifting and passion? So I want to thank you so much for your, your time and being a part of this. And again, if you have any questions, we've got our team in the back here on the side. And then I encourage you to visit the VR booth that's downstairs. It's the first one on the right that's a marketplace worker in the Middle East. And then uh, we have a booth in the exhibit hall. You'll see the video display that says Find and Live. So thank you again. Thanks, guys.